Hello and welcome to our webinar. I'm Amy Hutchinson, an associate in the tax department here at Travis Smith, and today I'm joined by Kalsoom Hadi, a knowledge counsel in the firm's incentives and remuneration group. Now, many companies incentivize their employees, particularly senior executives and directors, by granting them awards under a long-term incentive plan, or what's known as an LTIP. And typically, such awards give employees a right to receive shares or cash at a future date usually about three years from grant, and um, provided certain performance conditions have been met. Now, historically, these performance conditions will be based on financial targets, but there is a growing trend for companies to include non-financial conditions, and particularly those relating to environmental, social and governance issues. So in this webinar, we're going to talk about the use of ESG performance conditions and how we became involved in drafting ESG conditions for LTIP awards as part of the Chancery Lane project. So to start with, can I ask you, Kalsoom, why conditions like these have grown in popularity recently? Thanks, Amy. Yes, it's, uh, it's true to say that particularly in recent months, companies are having to consider their ESG credentials uh, in lots of aspects of their business. And this is partly driven and, and to a large extent driven by financial considerations. So companies need to make sure that they appeal to investors um, and customers uh, will also be looking for companies to um, uh, have ESG, good ESG credentials. And it's also recognised that ESG risks can have a significant impact on a company's bottom line. So if a company um, suddenly has um, a higher tax bill or greater costs because of uh, measures or regulations that they have to comply with for ESG purposes, then that will, that will have a, a direct financial impact. But I think it's also fair to say that um, many companies believe that taking action on ESG matters is the right thing to do. Um, and uh, the current climate crisis has, has put business in the spotlight. Um, and the COVID-19 pandemic also seems to have highlighted ESG concerns. And um, as we've seen through um, various things that have happened in the country over the last two, year and a half, there's definitely a growing recognition that uh, all aspects of life, and particularly the working environment should um, include uh, fairness, diversity and uh, be generally more inclusive. Um, so although we've seen non-financial measures uh, being a, a key feature of many incentive arrangements for uh, some years now, um, I think it's fair to say that companies have definitely been encouraged to sort of up their game specifically in, re in relation to ESG issues. And one way of doing that is to link some types of pay, particularly for senior executives and directors, to e ESG performance targets. So is there is there actually more evidence that companies are using ESG based performance conditions? Yeah, I think there is. I mean, listed companies have to publish uh, a director's remuneration report every year. And there's been some research recently that has looked at uh, the annual reports of FTSE 100 companies and found that almost half of bonus plans for executives included an ESG element. And that's about up from about a third a year ago. And uh, similarly, a third of long-term incentive plans or LTIPs are also now tied to ESG uh, conditions. And that's um, double from what it was about a year ago. And um, there, there are a few reasons for this. One of these is uh, a greater shareholder activism. So investors are putting pressure on companies to include ESG conditions. And also um, because more and more companies are having ESG strategies, which are measurable, that actually makes it easier to have these sorts of conditions within their incentive arrangements. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and do, do you see the same happening in smaller listed companies and, and private companies? 
To, to a certain degree, I, I can see certainly smaller listed companies and aim listed companies using ESG conditions for their incentive arrangements. It's still a little unclear as to what will happen with private companies. I mean, there are many private companies with excellent ESG credentials and lots of them have uh, registered as B Corp, for example. But um, whether it's possible or even right to link how um, executives are paid within private companies isn't yet clear. Typically, uh, employee incentives in private companies aren't actually linked to performance conditions at all. They're usually based on achieving an exit like a sale or a float, but we might see changes to this. Um, when we uh, drafted the SG-based LTIP conditions for the Chancery Lane project that we'll talk about in a minute, we, um, we used as a starting point an ESG-linked equity ratchet that was drafted by uh, some of our colleagues. Um, so uh, maybe a better way of rewarding employees uh, in private companies is through how the, um, the ratchet works. But um, even if ESG targets don't um, fit well with the private company's longer term incentives, it might be something that's appropriate in their shorter term arrangements, such as the annual bonus. But there is a danger with annual bonus plans in that um, uh, short term goals can encourage quick wins. So uh, it's often better to, um, to, to structure um, um, remuneration um, uh, conditions that are linked to ESG in annual bonuses as uh, steps towards achieving a longer term goal, as opposed to looking at trying to achieve things in the short term. Yeah, I can see that. And and if companies don't implement these themselves, could could you ever see clauses like these becoming a legal requirement as the country moves towards net zero? I don't think it will become a legal requirement. I think given what we've seen from successive governments approach to uh, encouraging good corporate governance within um, firms, they tend to use prefer to use a carrot rather than a stick approach. So uh, companies will have to uh, make disclosures on ESG matters. Um, and um, many listed companies will from next year, for example, have to make climate related financial disclosures in their annual reports. And uh, these disclosures will in turn um, alert investors and the market to um, what sort of risks uh, companies are exposed to and what their ESG focus is. And I think that uh, will in turn lead to uh, investors and um, employees potentially putting pressure on these companies to uh, to up their game. So I, th I think it will, it will be by reference to um, uh, encouraging other people to put pressure on companies rather than making it obligatory. Yeah. So taking it back to the performance um, conditions for a minute. How, how do you think companies can balance the ESG related conditions with the other existing, usually kind of financial performance conditions that we see at the moment? Yeah, I think financial targets will still continue to play quite a dominant role in executive pay because they, they are easy to understand and they are clear to measure and compare. And one of the concerns about ESG type targets, if they're not sufficient, sufficiently uh, challenging or uh, difficult to measure and very subjective is that they might be regarded as a bit soft and give rise to higher payouts. But um, I think this balance could change and we could see ESG targets playing a, a bigger role uh, and having a greater weight. And there's, there's different ways in which non-financial measures can be used in determining how much of a, a, an award would be paid out. You can either take a scorecard approach. So you say X percentage of a, a bonus rail tip is dependent purely on meeting ESG conditions or you could use the ESG conditions as a sort of underpin so you have to meet a, um, a basic ESG condition before the but the bonus or LTIP is paid out at all. Uh, I mean some companies um, um, think that ESG conditions uh, shouldn't be linked to executive pay at all. 
Yeah, that, I find that surprising. Um, why do you think some companies don't think they should link ESG factors and pay? Yeah, it's it's a it's it's a matter that for for debate. I mean, some people say that um, ESG, um, good ESG credentials are are a given, and therefore, um, uh, um, if you have good ESG credentials, and that will naturally lead to better financial performance, which in turn will mean that executives hit their financial targets. Um, so the, the idea is that ESG factors should be something that's part and parcel of an executive's job, and they should just do it as part of their day job, and not something they're particularly encouraged to focus on specifically in terms of their own pay. But having said that, even if that is the case, and there's certainly an optical um, advantage to putting ESG conditions within an executive's remuneration, because it, it demonstrates to um, uh, shareholders, the outside world, and to customers and employees that uh, these, these, these points are, are important and that they are linking the pay that these senior executives and directors receive to ESG targets. So uh, ultimately, it's, it's whatever the company decides, but works best for, for it. And the key is to ensure that they communicate it well um, to shareholders and their employees. So if they choose not to have um, ESG specific performance conditions, then they need to really explain why that is the case. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I want to talk now about the Chancery Lane project and how we got involved drafting what we've called Scarlet's Clause. So for those who haven't heard of them before, the Chancery Lane Project are a group of lawyers from around the world who are trying to draft new contractual clauses that can be used by law firms in their precedents and by businesses in their commercial agreements. And these clauses are aimed at embedding climate solutions into the legal drafting. So, for example, there are precedent articles for companies who want to commit to factoring in the environment to their decision making. There are clauses that set targets for sustainability and supply contracts. And um, like we spoke about earlier, there are template clauses to include in equity documents to financially incentivize, incentivize management teams to meet particular ESG targets. And we became involved in the project after a colleague approached us to um, provide clauses on ESG related performance conditions after hearing us mention them at a seminar. So we drafted a performance condition which was based on a standard performance condition for a long term incentive plan that had both financial and additional ESG targets. And we used the scorecard approach that Kulsu mentioned earlier. Now, our aim was to create a starting point for companies and in particular smaller listed and private companies who might want to introduce ESG targets for their incentives. So. For example, some of the targets that we included were the group achieving their net zero target. We had um, the purchase of 100% renewable energy for the company's offices, um, or we had publishing um, a company ethnicity pay gap report and various other things that companies wanting to use the, the clause can effectively pick and choose from. I think the way the clause evolved is really interesting. Um, Kulsum, do you want to talk a bit about what happened next? Yes, uh, the clause was developed in a really unique way. It's not something I've ever done before. So normally when we're drafting legal documents, you know, if somebody drafts it, then they send it to somebody else, they comment on it, and it sort of uh, bobs back and forth from between different lawyers. But with Scarlett's clause, I had to take part in a live drafting session called a hackathon. And uh, that involved basically anyone who's interested in the clause um, could join this um, online meeting. And um, we were basically given time to 
comment on one document at the same time. So people were, were, were typing and drafting and commenting on a document as it right in front of you. It was it was really unique. Um, it was quite intense, but very productive because it really focused your mind. Um, and so that was that was great, actually. And it meant that you could talk to people about why they thought certain things were important and, and having everything live was a really, really useful thing to do. Um, and then it was um, reviewed by the Chancery Lane Project experts. And I mean, their their input on the environmental side of things was was really uh, valuable because that's that's really their their focus, and they were able to craft the clause so that. Um, the environmental targets actually were um, in a way that could be measured and were uh, could be sort of um, uh, looked at objectively. So that was really, really helpful. Uh, and then this year they reviewed it again because they had, um, I think they, they had sort of updated their net zero um, um, uh, priorities or they had a, had a net zero project. So they made some slight modifications to actually almost um, potentially toughen up the, the, the environment, environmental side of the performance condition. Um, so it's a sort of, um, it's, it's very much an ongoing thing. It'll be reviewed from time to time. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, um, it, it's a really, it, I, th I found it a really interesting way of um, developing it, developing a clause, which I'd never done, done before. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, so do you know if, if companies have started using the clause? It's still early days, and I have to say a lot of clients are still finding their, their way in this area. But um, uh, the legal publish, publish, publisher Practical Law recently published the clauses and only made a few minor changes. So um, that's obviously a forum that a lot of people will look to. So I think it's only a matter of time before we start to see them appearing in incentives arrangements. And our, our goal in doing this was to just give companies that want to have ESG targets but didn't know where to start just somewhere uh, uh, where they could take the first steps and something they, that would give them a sort of grounding to start with and they can build from. So that, that was really our aim in doing this. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's been such an interesting project to work on. And I think given the increased focus on ESG and hopefully what's going on in COP26 next week, I hope that more and more companies will be able to look to this just yeah. for, even for just a starting point and um, I mean it's definitely a, a developing area so at the very least it'll be really interesting to see how the clause evolves over time. Yep. Yeah. Um, Colson thank you so much for talking us through these points today we do try and keep these webinars short so I'll draw to a close but I know that I found this really really interesting and if any listeners would like to get in touch with us to discuss anything we've talked about today our details can be found on the website. Thank you.